Well, we return today to these words of the Lord's Prayer that we've been studying over the past several weeks. And here again today, we're going to study these very special words of verse 4. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I want us to again acknowledge that these words present difficulties to our sensibilities. These words, some of them, are very hard for us to reconcile. Last week, our focus, for the most part, was on the first part of verse 4. And lead us not into temptation. Pleading with the Lord in our prayer. Lead us not into temptation. But the words in the second part of that verse are a very important continuation of that plea that we're making to God. That he would not lead us into temptation, but that he would deliver us from evil. And while some translations of these scriptures render these words, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, both the New King James Version and the New International Version of Scripture, they render those words to read, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one, Satan. And that's because there's a clear implication within the context of those words, that this plea is that God would not only protect us from the general influences of evil, but especially that God would protect us from the schemes and the influences and the temptation of the devil himself and his demonic kingdom. And the reason for that, the reason for that can be seen in the worst of the temptations that are shown to us here in these scriptures. It was Satan himself who brought that first temptation to Adam and Eve. And it was Satan himself who tempted the old servant Job. And it was Satan himself who tempted the Lord Jesus. And then also, as we consider all the many Christians who were mercilessly slaughtered and martyred by the Roman emperors like Nero and others, and... For us in more modern times, those that were martyred during the days of the Reformation where so many Christians were burned alive because of their faith in Christ. I must tell you folks that I can see all of that cruelty coming directly from the hands of the devil himself. And so, to my best understanding then of the words of this prayer that we've been studying, these words can also be rendered, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. From the wiles, the schemes, the beguiling of Satan himself and his demons. Listen to these words. And I'll read the words of our Lord's Prayer from Luke chapter 7 in the version from the New King James Bible. Verse 1, Now it came to pass, as he, the Lord Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples to pray. And so Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then I also want to read the 
prayer that the Lord Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6. Again, just to remind you, he gave this Lord's Prayer on more than one occasion to his disciples. And this one is the one that we usually pray, especially as we open the service each Sunday. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, folks, as I consider all the many temptations and the sufferings that the saints have endured, especially like those that I mentioned a moment ago with Job and all the many martyrs, I confess to you that I don't know what I would do personally if I were to encounter such severe temptations as they had to endure. Yes, I would like to think the best of myself. I think each one of us would. I'd like to think that when I am tempted and tried as so many of those martyrs suffered, I would be brave. I'd like to think that I would be brave and steadfast in my allegiance to the Lord. But again, I confess that I don't know what I would do. And so I do want to earnestly pray these words of this prayer, pleading for the Lord's divine protection and deliverance. And not only for myself, but also for my loved ones, for you. Saying, Lord, please lead me and my loved ones not into temptation, but deliver me and them from the torturous hands of the evil one, Satan. And know, as we said in the message last week, God himself does not ever tempt us. God himself does not ever tempt us. And we're clearly promised that in those words given to us in James chapter 1. But yes, as we've said, it's clearly a part of the holiness of God that you and I would be subjected to a need to make choices within all those many circumstances that we encounter each day. And within those circumstances, God is very purposeful. He's very purposeful each time that we experience those difficulties. What Satan would intend for you and me as temptations, God uses as a means of testing our faith. And of maturing us up in it. We're told that clearly in James chapter 1. Listen to these words. He tells us, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God is so very purposeful in all of these occurrences, these difficulties that we encounter each day. And please do understand that the testing of our faith that he speaks about here in this James chapter 1 is not for the purpose of revealing something to God. The testing of our faith does not reveal something to God. God already knows how faithful you and I are. And he also knows how faithful we're going to be. The testing is for the purpose of revealing our faith to us, to ourselves. So that you and I can know and we can grow and mature in our faith. Again, 
please do understand, God is not trying to find out something about you. He already knows everything about you and me. That kind of testing that I'm talking about, it can be clearly seen in the testing of Abraham and his faith as God instructed him to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. And also that testing could be clearly seen in all that we've read about, as I mentioned a moment ago, in the sufferings of this old servant Job. Job. Yes, Satan was tempting, but God was using those circumstances to test and mature the faith of his dear servants. And know when we're in the middle of being overwhelmed by the trials and the temptations of some of our sufferings, we're not going to be able to see much of a difference between the temptations of Satan and the testings of God. But we really must hold fast to the truth that we really do know. And that is that God is holy and that he himself is trustworthy to never tempt us. Now, considering these words then, let's begin by first reminding ourselves of one of the guiding principles that we affirmed in an earlier message. And that is that while many of the things that God does might bring very difficult and painful circumstances into our life, everything that he does, everything that he will ever do is always good. He tells us that in Psalm 119 where we're told there that God is good and he does good. And that's also given to us in Romans 8.28. We have an assurance there that if we will be faithful to remain firm in our love and our commitment to God's purposes, that he'll make everything turn out for our good. He'll make even the worst of the bad things that people and even Satan himself bring into our daily lives. He'll make those to turn out for our good. God truly is good. He's always good. And he always does good. And then also, as we studied in our last message, every person, listen carefully to this. This is so important. Every person and every creature and every circumstance, whether they be good or evil, is available and useful in the hands of God as he carries out his righteous plans and his righteous purposes in our lives. And it does not make God evil if he chooses to use that which is evil to carry out the purposes of his righteousness. And that is a hard concept to accept. But let me repeat it again. It does not make God evil if he chooses to use that which is evil to carry out the purposes of his righteousness. Now, you and I can't do that. We are not holy. And we would misuse those opportunities. But God is holy. These scriptures are filled with examples of occasions when God used some of the most evil of people and circumstances to carry out his purposes. He used Pharaoh in the lives of Moses and the Hebrew people to bring glory to himself as he freed the Israelite nation from their slavery there in Egypt. And God used Nebuchadnezzar to chastise the rebellious people of Israel and to carry them off into exile. And again, as we said regarding the sufferings of Job, God even used the devil during those sufferings to carry out his divine purposes in Job's life. But folks, most important of all, 
God used the merciless slaughter of his dearly beloved son, suffering beyond all measure and understanding to bring about the righteousness that would be needed to save you and me, to save every person that would give their hearts to him. Now, if you struggle with that concept, because it is very difficult, that it does not make God evil if he chooses to use that which is evil to carry out the purposes of his righteousness. Please do be patient with your faith and God will bring you to an understanding of it. It all has to do with this very special love that God has for his dear children. First for Israel and now for you and me. As we've said on so many other occasions, when you and I received Christ as our Savior, something big, bigger than we can ever imagine took place within us. A very special, eternal relationship was born within us. A relationship that is like no other. In our salvation, you and I actually become the sons and daughters of God. We're told that in several places in scriptures, but simply put there in John chapter 1, he said there in verse 12, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. You and me, when we received him as our Savior and Lord. We are now God's own beloved children. We're heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8 says that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are heirs to all that God has within his kingdom. All of its privileges. All of its provisions and its protective watch care and on and on. But listen, think with me for a moment about this. In God's family, as sons and daughters, you and I are in a very different position than any other people. These scriptures speak about hired men and servants. But listen, as sons and daughters of God, we are not at that level of hired men and servants. We are so far above all of those. We are sons and daughters. We are sharing in the provisions of the kingdom. But there's also responsibilities for us. We not only share in those provisions, we also share in responsibilities for his kingdom. And that brings us back to this consideration that we have in these special words of the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, because we are God's beloved children, and because we have this special responsibility as family members, God knows that he needs to prepare each one of us, for those responsibilities. We have only to look at the special hands-on care and provision and discipline that God exercised over the children of Israel to know that he has the much, much the same in, in store for you and me. Folks, those Old Testament stories about Israel, they're in the Old Testament. They are not just a compilation of stories. It's a blueprint God gave us a blueprint of his plans for everyone that he adopts as sons. And so it is with you and me. From since that very first moment that you and I received Christ as our Savior, God's plan has been fully in motion for us. Beneath the surface of our visible existence, God has been faithfully at work making provision for all of our needs. And we must also understand that his provision includes discipline. Discipline. 
as we learned in the message last week in Hebrews chapter 12, God has provided us with a blueprint of his loving plan for his sons. He tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that he disciplines those that he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son or a daughter. He even goes so far as to say, following these words, that if if he does not discipline us, then we are not legitimate children of his. And so you and I must understand that this is all part of a necessary plan that God has in place for you and me. And yes, all those very good things that take place in our life every day, they all come from and through the hands of God. They might flow through other people, but they, they're coming from God. But listen, that's also especially true for the difficult things that take place each day. Those difficulties and those sufferings most often do flow through the hands of people that are unkind often. They're being influenced and guided by the schemes of the devil. But listen, from God's perspective, from God's perspective, those people and those circumstances, they are useful instruments to bring you and me to righteousness. You might think that that was just an unkind person behind that counter that did not wait on you properly. Or that person on the other end of the phone that was rude. And they were. But from God's perspective, those people and those circumstances, they are useful instruments to bring you and me to righteousness. God's hand is always at work, taking responsibility as a loving father to train us up and to discipline us, his beloved children. And at the heart of all that takes place in those circumstances is this matter of faith and how our faith is able to be worked out and revealed within us, as we were told there a moment ago, those words in James chapter 1. Faith is one of those things, folks, that simply does not exist unless and until it's tested and tried. Let me say that again, and please think through it. Faith does not exist unless and until it's tested and tried. Now, why would I say that? It's because as long as all of our needs are being met by provisions that we have readily available to us or already in hand, we have no need for faith. We have no need for faith that it's going to be provided. We already have it. It's only as our provision is in doubt or it has been taken away from us that we're compelled then to turn to the one who can help us. Now that's so with all the very basic provisions of life, food and place to live and matters of our health and even love and friendship. As long as we have those things and they're readily available to us, we have very little need for faith. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus said that it's very difficult for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said that? This is the reason. With great wealth in hand, a person has no need for faith. They already have all that they need. But listen, this matter of faith also extends on beyond the meeting of basic needs like food and a place to live. It also must be a guardian over the wants and the 
lusts that so often consume our thoughts each day. The want and the lust for more money, for a better position in life, the desire to have control over things and other people. That was the very things that Satan paraded before the eyes of Jesus as he was being tempted there in the desert. He was saying, you can be king over all of this earth. I'll give you everything that you can see. Thankfully, thankfully, Jesus turned the answer to each of Satan's questions back to faith and obedience to God the Father. And that is the intent of God's heart as he uses the wiles of Satan and the temptations of this world as his instruments to bring righteous faith within you and me. And no, God does not desire that you and I be tempted. But at the same time, he does also understand the nature of our souls. And he knows that it is only as we're tested and we're tried that our faith is born within us and it's built up and it's revealed within us. And the more that it's revealed within us, the more peace we have in our life. When we're putting our faith in him rather than in something that we have in hand. Especially when suffering is part of the circumstances that are taking place. One of the best illustrated examples is found in the trials and the sufferings of that dear old servant Job that I mentioned a moment ago. If you haven't read the book of Job, I recommend it to you. In that book, right from the first, we can see God's hand and we can see Satan's hand. It's made evident to us very clearly. For a season there, in those words, God loosened the leash around Satan's neck so that Satan could pour out this myriads of sufferings upon the back of dear old Job. Through Satan's hands, thieves and murderers robbed Job of all of his livestock, and they killed his servants. Satan caused violent weather to blow the house down on Job's children and to kill them all. And then Satan inflicted boils and sores all over Job's body. And then Job's friends turned against him. And then finally, his dear wife. His dear wife turned against him. And again, behind all of that suffering was this wily hand of this evil one that we are praying about here in the Lord's Prayer. This evil one, Satan. But folks, God wants us to understand something. The real reality was all of Job's trials and all of his sufferings came ultimately from the hand of God. That's difficult for us to accept, but it did. It was all part of God's plan and his, by his permission. And if you read the book of Job, you'll see where Satan had to come back and ask permission to inflict suffering upon Job. Neither Satan nor anyone else could do any of those things except by God's permission. And that's where trust and faith is so important for you and me. Now, thankfully, Job endured the suffering and he was sanctified by all of it. And he said of God, though he slay me, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And the very same was true with the Lord Jesus as he was led there by God's Spirit into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And those are the exact words of Scripture. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And then as we read in Hebrews chapter 4, 
Jesus endured that testing and those trials, and he proved his worthiness to be called our intercessor, our high priest, our Savior, and our Lord. Listen to these words, Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so he goes on to say, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Faith, your faith and my faith, is born out of, it's built up in, and it's revealed by suffering and by discipline. And it's the only way. And God is a faithful Father who will not hesitate to use all of the means available to Him to bring His sons and His daughters, you and me, to righteousness. And thanks be to God for that. Now one last thought and then we'll close. God's discipline is at work in every moment of our life. In every moment of our life. Even during our most faithful of times. That was what was taking place with Job. God had described him there at the beginning of the book of Job as being blameless and upright. And yet God brought this discipline into his life. That's because God has the highest and best desires and expectations for his beloved sons and daughters. Listen, he sees you and me as we are now, but he also sees us as he wants us to be. He sees who we are now, but he sees us as who he wants us to be. And just as a great artist knows how to put the finishing touches and perfecting touches on their artwork, so even more does God want you and me to be perfect, as perfect as his beloved son, the Lord Jesus. Listen to these words given in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed by these sufferings. You and I are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then what is our response to be? You and I are to join with God our Father as He transforms us into the image of His dear Son. And as we cry out, as King David did, saying, Search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father. Yes, we as your children would love for our training to be gentle. To be without suffering. But you know us well. And you love us. You love us enough to discipline us in order to train us up in ways of righteousness. And we thank you for that. We thank you in Jesus' precious name.